0: The
1: first time and, uh... this
2: message, We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st
3: century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our
2: attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus.
3: Have accessed entry eight zero six dot JB three one two six certificate number one eight zero four two The Moon Illusion
1: It's my illusion
2: The Moon Illusion is probably the most Universal optical illusion held across human history. It's the mistaken idea that we actually landed on the moon in nineteen sixty nine instead of <laughs> instead of staging it on a sound stage somewhere with Stanley Kubrick. You
3: know what uh, you're precipitating a fist fight with me now. You're, uh, you're the guy standing out in front of the
2: hotel yelling at Buzz Aldrin. look at the flag, look at the flag, John. <laughs> No, we should not lead the future to believe that we did not go on the moon. It was really our greatest achievement. Like all these, all the, what these moon uh, conspiracy people are doing are dimming really the only good thing humanity ever did and thereby destroying our legacy. Certainly uh, the major accomplishment or a major accomplishment. Putting Richard Nixon's name on the surface of another astronomical body. It's really incredible. And it's 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 like, it's like we were just trolling. For, the, for those of, ha <laughs> Nixon, woo! He's like the only human whose name will survive whatever uh, cataclysm well, produces sure. this audience. If you've ever watched Futurama, you know that he's president of the future, too. Oh, right. Maybe we should not be putting him down. No. Yeah, that's right. His head is in a jar somewhere. But it was just an accident that he happened to be president in 69. It was all Kennedy's idea.
3: Well, I mean, Kennedy wouldn't have been president in 69, no matter how
2: you slice it. Unless... Wait a some minute. Some kind of... Kennedy's head in the jar? <laughs> Catholic constitutional crisis. I love it. No, um, that's true. It would have been his successor.
3: Yeah, it probably would have been, well, I don't know, if Lyndon Johnson would have been president in 68.
2: You know what? Does Kennedy win re-election in 64 if Vietnam escalates? So hard to say. I'm pretty sure, yes. This is getting very, very far away from the astronomy and optical questions that I was hoping to discuss. Yeah, well, we'll we'll, we'll get back to those. I do want to
3: put an exclamation point on the fact that, at least for people our age... The moon landing and subsequent moon landings really suggested that by now, by this point in the 21st century, we would have space stations and moon bases and we'd be drinking cocktails in giant, uh, like orbiting orbs. But the
2: curve flattened a bit. It really did. We landed on the moon. Well, we built the space needle. We landed on the moon. Right. It seemed like everything was going great for the Jetsons' future. Yep. And then. And then
3: we uh, compromised on the space shuttle. It was going to be a lot cooler project than it ended up being. Cars
2: got smaller with fewer fins yep. instead of bigger and flying with more fins like we expected.
3: Yeah, and then there was uh, there was a period of, of uh, great malaise and then a couple of explosions and a recalcitrant congress and now we have now we're basically reliant on the Russians. We, Until the billionaires. Go. Right. We yeah. should we
2: should do a future entry in the omnibus about the Bond villains that are going to save us.
3: Uh, I, I already have it in, in my uh, list, the billionaire space programs. And we might have to get to that sooner than later.
2: The billionaire astronaut class.
3: Yeah. It's super fascinating to me. And by the time futurelings are listening to this, they'll probably be listening to it on off worlds called like Musk...
2: Musketania. <laughs> I live on Paul Allen six eighty seven. Oh really? I live on the Bezosphere. <laughs> but you're calling
3: the moon illusion very specifically an illusion.
2: It's an optical illusion.
3: Whereas I feel like it may. Are you making a distinction between an optical illusion and an optical artifact or an optical? I mean, it's it's clearly optical. The moon doesn't get bigger.
2: Right. The, but it is... The moon illusion we should define yeah. is the uh, idea, which has existed for thousands of years in human history, that the moon looks considerably larger at the horizon than it does in you know, a rising or setting than it does when it's overhead. But this is absolutely true. I've seen it myself. The moon is enormous in the sky sometimes. Then you have fallen for the illusion. I have. When you hear the word illusion, do you think, like me, of uh, Job on Arrested Development? It's not a trick, Michael. It's an illusion. I think that this is
3: one of those parade magazine... Uh, like, can you draw the bunny? (laughs) If so, maybe you qualify for art lessons style things where it's like, which line is longer? And it has a line with two inward pointing arrows and a line with two. And that's an illusion where it turns out, no, the line is the same. And so I'm, I'm thinking that you're going to tell us that the moon actually, the perception of it being
2: bigger is in fact wrong. Well, that has been a moving question in human history. For one thing, the moon is much smaller than everyone thinks. So there's kind of a moon illusion all the time. Like if I asked you like what coin you would use to cover the moon exactly when held at arm's length, what would you use? Quarter. Quarter? The moon is actually the size of a dime. For the future listeners, that's a considerably smaller uh, coin. It is. Held at a length of six feet. Whoa. What? No. No. Your arms would have to be six feet long, like probably some of our listeners. Uh Your your tentacles would have to be six feet long to exactly... Or your proboscis. Right. If you're holding the moon in your, the moon, if you're holding a dime in your guy, multiple, like you have, yeah, t- that's you have, right. you have two noses and they're very long. I'm not, I'm not saying how many noses you might have in the future. It's true. You have multiple noses yes. and they're very long. Yes. And presumably prehensile enough to hold a dime. Do you know what a koosh ball looks like? I do know what a koosh I'm ball I'm guessing is. that that's what futurelings look like, except they're all noses. They're adorable. <laughs> Do they have two googly, is it a koosh ball with two googly eyes? Of course. No, uh, six googly eyes. Imagine us just sitting on a, you know, bench somewhere in some Edenic wonderland, uh, you know, beautiful parkland with a bunch of koosh balls with googly eyes rolling up to us to hear our tales of the past. It does feel a little bit like the trouble with Tribbles. <laughs> we're speaking to the Tribbles. Uh, from, uh, from Muscatania. The Tribbles were always reproducing. They have no oh, right. time to listen to tales of the distant past. You know, one thing about- They're busy with their triple orgies. One thing about podcasting, and there's no way we could know this, but
3: surely there are people that listen to podcasts while copulating.
2: (laughs) Now, I'm not going to say how many. I like that we specifically can't know this because we're speaking to copulators whose uh, foreplay will not even begin for thousands of years. Right. Which takes a great load off my mind. But even now in our own time, I mean, there are all kinds of people.
3: Right? And there have got to be people who are like, the sound of Ken and John is really making my...
2: You don't know this. You're making a mathematical argument that there's so many people and therefore so many fetishes. Yeah, but nobody has emailed you to say, I'm glad uh, I listen to one of your podcasts every other Saturday night with the missus. No, but there are... There's, you know,
3: podcasting is very personal. You hear your favorite podcaster's voices very close. In your head. Very close in your head. There's some ASMR. Did I get
2: that right? A S A M What is I it? I think you were right. The ASMR. Vibrating your proboscis. Yeah.
3: And so there's got to be some kind of, over time, a little bit of like, I mean, it's very intimate. So there's got to be some sexual identification with your favorite podcasters. And then you're going to get some arousal. I mean, it might be that each being is listening on headphones to their own favorite podcast whilst copulating with their friend.
2: It's true. You don't want to have to wait to find someone who is turned on by <laughs> the exact Joe same Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, so... So I hope this is all going to be a letdown once people find that there is nothing at all arousing about the history of the moon illusion, by the way. I think that- Everyone's all ready to go after you gave that intro. And then I'm going to be Mr. Droning Science Man. (laughs) That's already true. The the moon (laughs) is very
3: sex-oriented, right? We're all- That's true. We're all like- And particularly the
2: size of the moon. Like- you watch a 1940s movie and people will kind of be winking to their uh, the character. I was just watching a, uh, a Marlena Dietrich movie last night, mm, where she's explaining did. she and uh, her husband Herbert Marshall, the only one-legged leading man of the period, by the way. Interesting. Is, is, is <laughs> she beats Cary Grant later in the movie, but she starts out with this one-legged Englishman.
3: I can't think of a current
2: one-legged leading man. I think it was blown off at the knee in World War One, so oh, he, he's yeah. got a cane in all his movies. Anyway, they're explaining to their child how uh, how they met and how he was eventually conceived. And the moon, the size of the moon looms very large. Like, well, of course we were married and had children. There was a big golden moon. Mm, yeah. And, and I think that's something we have lost in our time. The idea that the size of the moon correlates with, uh, uh, amorous experience.
3: Well, it depends on your cultural. First of all, does the word looming have a connection to moon?
2: Looming feels like something the moon does. No, but maybe the whole moon thing does come from the fact that famously it rhymes with June. Uh-huh. And, and that's like a cliched song lyric. Like that's how people used to talk about hacky Tin Pan Alley. Right. Songwriters as the they would rhyme June. moon and June. And I don't know the last time I heard a song that rhymed moon and June, but I'm pretty sure Eisenhower was president. Uh, well, I don't know. We don't listen to a lot of like uh You think if we emo, listen... <laughs> you, oh, I see. I thought you were going to say like Selena. I thought you were going to say like Disney Channel Teen Pop. Oh, punk. I'm sure there's moon and June
3: stuff in there. But I'm, I'm suggesting at least... You and I, there is a little bit of a cultural, uh, the Venn diagrams of our cultures do overlap, but there also is some tangent on either side. Sure. And um, my years in the alternative nation. Uh, you did your time, John. <laughs> I did my time in the uh, in the alternative nation. Uh, there are a lot of people that still put some weight, uh, some credence onto the moon in terms of its power over our arousal and over our affect.
2: These are your friends who are werewolves.
3: Werewolves and modern primitives and
2: people that Wiccans, are- Wiccans. Werewolves and Wiccans, basically. Were, werewolves and Is Wiccans. the title of your book about moon-aroused Americans in the 21st century. That was my favorite module in Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons. <laughs> Let's play. It sounds like a fake <laughs> D&D game from some kind of religious tract. Yeah. Oh no, we're playing werewolves and witches. <laughs> Ooh, ha, ha. And that's when Satan comes out and says, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. <laughs> With a W. <laughs> Have we talked about Chick Tracks? That's another entry in the Omnibus. Oh, uh, we're
3: absolutely going to do a Chick Track entry. Chick tracks really influenced me. We'll talk about that later.
2: And that's related to the, uh, another illusion related to the moon, the full moon effect, the idea that uh, cops and emergency rooms have their hands full when the moon is full. No, wait, is that also untrue? I, I don't, maybe this should be its own entry, but spoilers, I believe it is impossible to demonstrate and people have tried. Hmm, all right. But people in the field are just convinced. You can't show me a study. I'm an OR, an ER nurse, and I see this every 30 days. Do you You don't have the experience, and maybe this is confirmation bias, but
3: you don't like have that experience where you're driving home and you're like, what is wrong with people today? Everybody's driving like a lunatic. And then you look up and you're like, oh, it's a full moon.
2: That doesn't happen to you. It happens to me all the time. I have two problems with that living in Seattle as we do. First of all, everyone's driving like that all the time. And True. second, you can't see the moon because it's cloudy. So I live on a hilltop, though. Ah, see, that's my problem. Yeah. So the wind blows a little harder. I, right I live in a valley of calmer <laughs> drivers. The moon is smaller. Then we think, I'm not even going to attempt to segue. That doesn't, that just doesn't comport with my experience, but I believe you. Is it because you have six foot arms? Well, no. I And just very think small of, quarters? You think of the moon as sort of filling the night sky. Well, it subtends the same angle uh, of the sky as the sun does, which is why eclipses work. Uh-huh, Otherwise right. you'd get either, you know, a big ring by, from a smaller moon or no corona at all from a bigger one. Sure. Which is about half a degree. The sun and the moon cover half a degree in the earth sky. They're actually- a that uh, coincidence? Or is, the,
3: is it evidence of the hand of an artful creator? Uh,
2: without any evidence either way. <laughs> I mean, si- You're not going to take a science th- argument There's certainly here. no astronomical reason for that to be true. Right. In fact, it has not always been true. The moon is receding from the earth at a rate of about 1.6 inches a year. Huh. It's
3: just slowly right. getting further away.
2: So when we describe eclipses to, a, to a, an audience listening... Tens of thousands of years from now, they may be very jealous.
3: Yeah, right. That we had such beautiful eclipses. Eclipse eye.
2: Whereas they they have a smaller moon that leaves a sun shaped donut, and their word for eclipse is the same as our word for donut, uh, old fashioned donut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, so, the, the, but but but
3: uh, that is really an interesting. I mean, it's testimony to the power of gravity, the weakest of all the the forces. Way to put down gravity, John. And yet. It like so impressive that the moon could be spinning so fast with
2: so much mass and yet only be escaping us by an inch a year. It's three times as fast as your fingernails grow. Well, our fingernails grow. I, I don't want to speculate about the cuticles of the future. The if you fu- the didn't futicles. clip your fingernails, they would grow an inch and a half a year? A uh, half an inch a year. The moon is moving three times as fast. Away. Oh,
3: oh, I see what you're saying.
2: Oh, wow. That's It's about the same rate at which the continents are spreading. That's that's how I remember it. Okay. I just watch the continents spread, and I think that's about how fast my fingernails are growing. It's a helpful mnemonic. Wow. Yeah, ev- <laughs> uh, ever more evidence for the hand of an artful creator. No, that, one, like, that how, one is a coincidence. How that am one. I going to connect fingernails, <laughs> continental drift, and the moon? So that means you could lie there, uh, you know, if, if there's some place where the ocean is growing, say between Europe and... Uh, And America, the Eastern seaboard of America, you could lie on the beach with your arm extended as your fingernails grow and your fingernails would never reach Portugal Uh (laughs) because because Portugal would be moving away at exactly the same speed.
3: Seems like the hand of an artful creator. I, I mean, it feels like just as much of a puzzle as your certificate numbers for this show. It's just something for us to
2: unlock. We don't know what it is yet. You believe that's uh, intelligent design and not just me picking five random digits? You know, listen, I'm not going to argue against science on this show, but
3: I do feel like all these things are puzzles in the omnibus. Is that the end of the episode? No, I'm afraid we're going to keep going because I want to know more about the Moon Illusion.
2: That was really good. Yeah, we didn't actually talk about it at all.
3: Yeah. All right, good episode.
2: It's a pretty short episode. Good entry. Yeah, Uh, The Moon Illusion is very universal, this idea that it's bigger at the horizon. Um, A Cambridge anthropological group found it in uh, Torres Islanders in Southeast Asia being contacted for the first time in the 1890s. How did that come up in conversation? They were just like, hey, do you guys, um, <laughs> what about when the, the moon's low? Does yeah. it seem like big or small or, or what? Uh, yeah, I don't know how it came up, but there are records of it in there. And people do write this down. Like maybe it's part of their mythology. Like we have Syrian clay tablets that have specific prophecies related to the size of the moon. When the moon at its appearance is very large, an eclipse will take place. Well, I don't want to... Fact check, but I don't think that's true. Right. When the moon at its appearance is very bright, the crops of the land will prosper. Uh-huh. And, and the fact that they're linking all this stuff to the moon at its appearance makes it seem like they did notice sometimes a disproportionate largeness or, or brightness at the rise of the moon.
1: When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit ButcherBox.com iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's ButcherBox.com iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. Well, and you hit on this a second ago, uh, which is
3: that the moon, the night sky, and the stars in the firmament all played a much, much larger role in people's lives until very recently, until electric light. And so there would have been quite a lot more attention paid to the ins and outs, what more, was going on. More the-
2: thinking about, right, because the sun to them might be a chariot racing across the sky or a, a beetle chasing a slightly different type of beetle or, or whatever they thought the sun was. Right, but the moon was would have been your main
3: illumination and when it went away... Every month it would have been, you know, the dark time and the light
2: time. Sure, I think there are still like Celtic temples and ruins that seem to be oriented around the specific time when the the moon sets just at the horizon and stays there for a few days, which happens every, I don't even know, 18 or 19 years. No one knows who they were or what they were doing. Many Spinal Tap songs (laughs) have been inspired by this. And in fact, the Guns N' Roses albums, Use Your Illusion, were inspired by the Moon Illusion. Come on, I guess you don't believe you don't believe that. <laughs> you know the thing is, I it's I, hard to light uh, a candle. I didn't. Uh,
3: by the time Use Your Illusion One and Two came out, and I ha- I hate to say this because you know I'm I'm pretty good pals with Duff, but
2: I had all Way I to had to name drop your GNR friends. I had well, you know, this is, probably isn't the first time I've done it. Friends with Duff is like a Simpsons a euphemism for alcoholism, I think.
3: Well, I well, I had that too, but no, friends with the with the with the, with the, the old
2: can't. Duffer and. Uh, uh, but use your. If listeners don't know, Duff McKagan, the uh, bassist for Guns N' Roses for many years, bassist of Guns N' Roses, uh, except
3: for some interregnum there where Buckethead was in the band. There's a lot of interregna in the history
2: of Guns N' Roses. There that's are, that's a lineup that uh, that is not super stable. Maybe because that's a lead singer that is not super stable.
3: Yeah, although they seem to have come back around, and now they're in a second heyday. But I was not a fan of the Use Your Illusion albums. And I think I listened to a couple of tracks off of one and I didn't even make it to two. So I'm not sure if they had a song on there that was like,
2: "All oh, the moon! So big Well they do say, you know, don't you cry tonight, there's a heaven above you, baby. So the moon is in the heaven above her. But sure. he, Axel is silent on what it would mean if the moon was in the heavens straight ahead, straight of, her ahead at, of her at horizon level.
3: I'm I'm embarrassed that you do such a much better Axel impression than I do, and yours isn't even good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, up your game.
3: Let's let's hear let's, <laughs> let's let's see you really No, I can't do it. I don't have there
2: I can do a Eddie Vetter. Yeah. Knock, knock, knock. It's just you're any better, but higher.
1: Knock, knock, knocking on herons door. I don't really have it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The moon illusion has also been noted, not just by Torres Strait, Cannibals, and Axl Rose, who is maybe also a cannibal, not sure. Mm. Um, Children see it. It's irregardless of age, irrespective of age. uh, Did you say irregardless? Irrespective of Uh, age. (laughs) I'm afraid that that totally obviates
3: all of my mispronunciations.
2: Uh, I like the word irregardless, actually, I but I don't want to get into it. Um, you can reduce it by looking with just one eye, monocular vision, but it does not go away completely. Huh. You can get rid of it completely by looking at the moon upside down, by bending down and looking between your legs. Now, hold on. You can get rid of it completely by looking at it in photos, by the way. It's not in photos at
3: all. The idea, or at least the, the explanation that I've heard my my whole adult life, is that as you look at the moon through the atmosphere, at an angle, at an increasingly low angle, you're looking at it through a larger cross section of the atmosphere. And that acts as a lens that creates
2: a larger moon. How do you answer this? By saying that that's incredibly wrong and naive, but you're in good company. You know who else thought that? Who? Some dummies like Aristotle, Mm. Ptolemy. Yeah. So this, uh, the observation of this, obviously it goes back to the Assyrians. It goes back to the ancient, uh, Greek astronomers as well. They all knew about this illusion. And at first, they regarded it as an astronomical question. Why? Why are the moon and the sun and the stars, because they all have the same celestial illusion, why are they so much bigger at the horizon? What happens? Yeah, right. And that very quickly, that the idea that the, they actually are larger in some way or nearer very quickly went away with a more careful observation of the night sky. No, that's not happening. Um, and it was replaced with this optical idea you're talking about. There's some atmospheric effect that makes it look A bigger Aristotle wrote, distant and dense air does, of course, normally act as a mirror in this way. You gotta love the of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, just wait. Like Aristotle has no idea. Like, what's he describing? Distant and dense air, of course, acts as a mirror in this way. Of course. Of course. But if you say of course, people. And if you're Aristotle, people will be like, oh yeah. I say this all the time. Yeah, of course, distant and dense air does, of course, act. Well,
3: you enough. know, Aristotle and I. This isn't the first time our names have been mentioned together. <laughs> uh, but uh, would this have presupposed then that they understood an a round Earth?
2: Yes. In fact, the idea that. Columbus was living in a civilization that thought the earth was flat, and he was the only one that thought he could go around the back of a round one, is not true. Yeah. The ancients generally believed that the earth was round. Columbus was just wrong about the size of it. He thought it was smaller than it was, and so you get to Asia going the back way, um, and he would be dead at the bottom of the Atlantic if there hadn't been the Americas in the way.
3: Do we refer to. The Renaissance uh, people in the Renaissance as the ancients—that seems like a Ken Jenningsism.
2: No, when I say the ancients, I mean the ancient Greeks and Romans oh. knew that the Earth was a sphere.
3: Oh, I, oh, good. Uh, that's another thing I share with Aristotle in that case. I believe the earth is a sphere.
2: I used to call you the big Aristotle. And then I found out that, uh, that's what Shaq calls himself. So now no. I can no longer call you the big Aristotle. Well, you can't,
3: yeah. I mean, you can't say I'm the big Aristotle. Cause of course Aristotle was six foot five and 280
2: pounds. Oh, he was a little Greek guy getting by, <laughs> by on like two figs and half a pita a day. Hmm. Like I'm sure Aristotle was five, four. You're like almost a foot taller than Aristotle. Yeah. It's a very easy way you can prove the earth is round, which is how. Eratosthenes, the Greek mathematician and astronomer, proved it in his day. He put a stick in the ground oh. at a certain day, measured the shadow. <laughs>
3: put a put a pig in the ground and put some bud on ice or whatever, and all his <laughs> rowdy friends came over? Uh,
2: he put a stick in the ground and measured the length of the shadow at a certain right. time of day, right. then had somebody else do the same thing like a thousand miles south. Right. And- uh, You don't even need to do that. If the earth were flat, the sticks would be at the same angle. If the earth were slightly curved, right. they would- converged slightly and the shadows would be different. And he actually observed that they did in fact point at slightly different angles. People are so, people were so much smarter than they are now. So I'm not saying like King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella were the ancients. I was just saying that. Yeah. Okay. People knew thousands of years before Columbus that the earth was a sphere.
3: In our day, you can't even tell when you're being trolled by Russians on Facebook. But back then Aristotle was like, I know two sticks
2: in the ground. It's because you can't put a stick in the ground and find out who's a Russian bot. A good point.
3: But here we are uh, with this thickness of the atmosphere explanation.
2: And why is that not a perfectly good explanation? Well, Aristotle doesn't make much sense. He seems to be connecting it to those ripples you see above highways in Aerosmith videos. Oh, I see. Sure. Uh, I don't do a Stephen Tyler, by the way. Do you do a Stephen Tyler? Um, Loving an elevator.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Bring me up when I'm going down. Or whatever the lyric was. That is uncanny. Thank you. It's yeah. like... <laughs> It's like he's doing the show with me.
3: Yeah, so your so your impression of Stephen Tyler is the guitar
2: riff, not My the vocals.
3: Stephen Tyler is the cut-up guitar riff from Run C's version <laughs> of "Walk This Way."
2: Uh, so, but later astronomers were more uh, specific. They thought it was related to the fact that you know, if you see something underwater, it kind of bulges out, like you know, yeah. imagining a goldfish in an aquarium or, so, or in a pond. Where there's some kind of bulgy fish eye effect that makes it look bigger. Sure, an optical. I mean, I wouldn't. I still, I'm, I still resist the word illusion. An optical effect. Right. However, it is not hmm. an optical effect. There is nothing making the moon look bigger, as you can prove with a couple things. First of all, the you know taking a photo and seeing that it's the illusion goes away in a photo, right. or looking between your legs and seeing that the illusion goes away upside Wait a down. Minute. or looking between
3: your legs and realizing listen there's no illusion when I look between my legs
2: (laughs) or using some kind of machine in 1639, uh, an astronomer named Castelli did the first of what is called the tube experiments where you look at the moon through some kind of device that isolates it from its surroundings. Okay. So that looking at its horizon is much like looking at it above. He did not use a tube. He used the brim of his hat. So Castelli apparently could not afford a piece of poster board to roll up. But in the subsequent centuries, many astronomers did this with a certain kind of tube. And it turns out that kills the illusion, not entirely, but substantially, particularly if you can really reduce it to just the moon itself. So there's almost no visible terrain. Huh. And that's how we know it's not something optical, but that's how it went. First, it was thought to be an astronomical property. You know, it's it's the stuff's further away. And then we learned that, wait, actually, the, the moon is at its closest when it's overhead. It's a little further away oh. at the horizon if you can if you can imagine that. So is this- I can't draw a chart for listeners, but imagine if the moon's always at the same distance from Earth, if it's always orbiting at the same height, then clearly it's going to be the closest to you when it's directly above you. Oh, I see. Not when it's further away on some kind of triangle.
3: So is this a question of just the fact that we have objects on the horizon give us a perspective on its
2: size? That was what came next. So after the meteorologists were discredited, then you have physiologists saying, well, it's something about the eye. And finally you have the psychologists saying, it's something about the brain and there's some overlap between those. And it turns out the terrain, if you do the tube experiment, terrain is a huge part of it. The effect gets reduced substantially. If you cannot see the tree next to it or the chimneys or whatever it is. And it's not clear why that is, I guess. Um, if, if you're seeing the moon next to a house, what is it that makes you think that it's bigger? What the moon, you think the moon's the size of a house there? Hey, the moon's much bigger than a house, buddy. I'm trying. I mean,
3: I'm trying to think of the last time this happened, and it wasn't you. Yeah, and it wasn't that long ago. I remember looking at a moon fairly recently, low on the horizon, and seeing it in this engorged state. And feeling like. And feeling a little randy. And feel, feeling like, wow, my, I was getting like vibed from all the modern primitives who lurk around my house. Did you try looking between your legs? With their blonde dreads. Did you try their, looking
2: between your legs and, to see if things got bigger or not? No, I didn't. But I was aware of the fact
3: that this was short lasting and that I needed to stop what I was doing and appreciate it for the, you know, I, I, it was something where I had groceries to carry in where the ice cream was melting, but I wanted to like, take my moment with the moon uh, because I knew that in 10 minutes or something, it would have passed, the big moon.
2: Good for you. Yeah, for take, well, for, you know, I live in the moment. I carry ice cream, but I'm also a poet.
3: But you're telling me that I was just, that it's still the size of a of a dime held out at six feet in these moments.
2: You were conned. You were hornswoggled mm-hmm. by the idea of, uh, you know, the trees or whatever you were seeing next to it. Over the years, people have kind of, the estimates of how much the moon illusion actually works have varied widely. Um, yeah. Some people think the moon is like four times as big when it's at the horizon. And in fact, uh, if you average out all the studies, there's a pretty constant, the moon looks between 1.5 and two times as big yeah. at the horizon. So it's maybe 50% bigger yeah. at least than it is overhead.
3: Yeah, I would I would say that.
2: <laughs> you agree with the, with the consensus? I on agree this with
3: point. the consensus. Normally I'm the outlier. Normally, you know, I'm not, I don't agree with the majority in terms of, of, uh, you know, the marriage contract, but I do, I do side with them on how much bigger the moon is
2: when it's low in the sky. Those might be correlated. You're a Wiccans and werewolf guy. Yeah. You're into, um, big moons and, uh, and Bacchanalia. I am into big moons. <laughs> uh, are you, but this is true
3: only of full moons, right? I mean, if it's just like a quarter moon at the horizon, I never see it as much larger.
2: Uh, It does not vary entirely on phase of the moon, but the illusion is certainly stronger with the moon than with constellations, for example. So I think it may be true that it's, uh, you know, it's more noticeable with a big, bold full moon than with a little sliver of a crescent. But you can see the illusion with either. The main way this is studied is not with the tube experiment, with something better called a moon machine invented
3: in the 50s. A moon machine, that sounds like a a hot rod from like a sixties comic book.
2: I think it might be a ride at Tomorrowland (laughs) (laughs) that was got rid of for being unsafe. Sure. It's a, the moon machine is a way of putting a piece of glass at an angle in front of the viewer so that you can beam an artificial moon from the side from some 45 degree angle. So it'll reflect back into the viewer. So the viewer has an illusory moon in front of them. And then what you do is you can show them that at the horizon and show them that overhead. Oh. Or show them both at the same time and have them adjust the size of one moon until it matches the other. Oh So you show somebody a moon overhead in one of these and then you've got a lower pane of glass reflecting one of the hori- reflecting the same light at the horizon and they can control on a knob to make it look the same. And so that's how you can really get granular about what is it that's doing this because there are So many theories, even now that we know that it's some kind of perceptual thing.
3: And this happens, you're saying to Orion's belt in addition to the moon. This isn't like exclusive of the moon.
2: Sometimes it's called the celestial illusion because it'll have, yeah, people have, even the ancients noticed that Orion was bigger at the horizon. And I've seen that. Yeah. And uh, it works for the sun as well. Um, People seem to fixate on the moon. Maybe it's a stronger illusion there. But you can really break it down in granularity as to which effects are causing it. And it appears to be a a combination of things. Um,
3: That's an unsatisfying answer. I know,
2: you want to know, you want a clickbait thing. Like, this is the true explanation behind the moon illusion. Yeah. And it really is something that we don't deal well with, the complexity that uh, problems might have multiple causes. This is causing me to doubt who I voted for in the last election. Well, this is actually very relevant to current events. You know, if you're somebody who says this issue cannot be solved with gun control. It can only be solved with mental health, you know? Right. Whereas that kind of argument doesn't really work if trends are caused by a confluence of multiple factors. Right. Which is true of the moon illusion. So different theories include how much of it is down to visible terrain, you know, cues I can see around the moon houses that are there at the horizon, but not up above. How much is down to something about my pupils, you know, are my pupils open wider at the overhead than at the horizon where there's more light or where it's still light out or whatever. How much of it is down to the angle at which I'm holding my head? How much is it down to some inherent thing whereby I think things, I'm better at judging size and distance at the horizon versus overhead because people have evolved to tell distance very well when somebody is standing in front of them. But, you know, to be a hunter-gatherer, you did not need to tell how far away the International Space Station was. I see. Interesting. So evolution makes us better at judging distances at the horizon. But these
3: are all, these all sound like theories rather than like, Right. Each one, a combination of...
2: But these are the kind of things you have to test to see if they're factors or not. How much is, uh, of it is luminance? How much of it is the moon being either brighter or dimmer at the horizon? How much of it is some kind of blur or haze? How much of it is color? The moon is often reddish at the horizon. Right. That is an atmospheric effect. How much does that affect it? So you can test all these things with a moon machine. Uh, you get some hints as to which of these matter by talking to, for example, pilots or astronauts. Huh. Airline pilots say that they see the moon illusion less from flying a commercial jet than they do at surface level. They especially say that when they're banking, when they're at an angle, the illusion goes away almost entirely. Huh. But they do, even astronauts and pilots, report the moon illusion. To some degree. Astronauts are a little more divided because we have fewer of them to ask. Neil Armstrong was actually asked, and other Apollo astronauts, from the surface of the moon, was there an Earth illusion? And their answer almost unanimously was, the Earth was really never low enough on the horizon. It was just a very small marble in the sky to us. But also the moon
3: has no atmosphere. So
2: there wouldn't be an atmospheric aspect. That's true. Although although we know from using things like the tube experiment that there is no atmosphere. You're sure putting a lot of faith in this tube experiment. It's a really good
0: tube, John. (laughs) start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n dot com slash start
3: but but Uh. but i'm saying like uh, from the standpoint of of these people on earth I guess my question is: Is the moon illusion something that only dummies are duped by, or are pilots and other people that should know better also? Do they perceive it?
2: That's an interesting question. Uh, some, a few people who have studied it have found that the illusion goes away as they study it, but most have specifically said it doesn't. Huh. Like Ptolemy, I think wrote that. Uh, you know, the great Greco-Egyptian astronomer Ptolemy wrote that even though, even though I'm aware that this is some kind of illusion in my head. It is still entirely convincing. I cannot talk myself out of seeing it. I have this same problem with my own charisma. (laughs)
3: Although I know it is not really, my own experiments have indicated that my charisma does not have that strong of an effect on people. I still am convinced. You
2: continue to act as if it were. Yeah. Yeah, that's the the, the, uh, straight white male confidence. Yeah, sure. I'm still blinded by it. You cannot breed, you cannot, (laughs) you can't talk me out of that privilege. (laughs) Um, astronauts in orbit, by the way, have said, uh, that often the moon is moving too fast to even observe. So it's, it's the moon crossing the earth's horizon goes much faster when you're also in orbit around the earth. Oh, sure. So they don't observe it. Although one, at least one astronaut has said they observed it from orbit. And I just want to mention him because his name is Wubbo Ockles. Oh sure. Wubbo Ockles. The first Dutchman in space. So I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name, and the the Dutchmen of the future are going to continue to persecute us.
3: It's not even the ones of the future. I've already gotten some pretty Dutchly-toned emails from people about our pronunciation uh, on our Dutch-themed episodes.
2: Well, there's a list of great Renaissance thinkers who have written about this, including the great Arab astronomer Ibn al-Haytham. And then when his work got translated to Europe, Roger Bacon, Leonardo, Kepler, Descartes, and a Dutch astronomer and inventor and optician whose first name is Christian And I know that we don't know how to pronounce Huygens. So I'm not even going to Huygen, 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 Huygens. Yeah.
3: How would actual Rose say
2: it? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we should not even attempt to say Dutch vowels because we get angry, angry responses. Yeah. But luckily they're going to be the first to be underwater in the future. If you're talking to a future audience, the last people you have to worry about are the Dutch, am I right? Well,
3: yeah, unless they're like living on a raft of, of <sighs> reeds.
2: They're going to be the ones that build the walls. They're going to be the last ones <gasps> to succumb.
3: Yeah, they know how to keep the sea back.
2: They're the only people that know what to do.
3: They're used to being teased too. And they speak English better than we do, so.
2: I hope they have a good sense of humor, that famous Dutch sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> so when you isolate, when you take all these factors and try to isolate them out, um, you find that some things are pretty irrelevant. For example, oculomotor effects—the mm. size of your pupils—appears to be irrelevant. It doesn't matter. You know, you can change the size of somebody's pupils, and they'll still make the same mistake with the moon machine.
3: So junkies still see the big moon, <laughs>
2: right? <laughs> right. Wiccans, werewolves, and winos. Uh, I guess. I guess winos, winos don't have. There would be. I just wanted the W word for junkie. Yeah. Uh, Wastoids. Wastoid. perfect. Werewolves, wiccans, and wasteoids. Um, there's a psychological illusion called the flattened dome which is very hard to disprove. Yeah. That's the idea that we tend to perceive the celestial space above us as a dome. Right. A rounded shape over our heads, which is pretty common throughout civilizations in history. Is it not? It, is it not a dome? Feels like a dome. I guess a dome connects at the ground, right? And that's
3: rather than like that you're encased in a ectoplasm. Well,
2: there is no, I mean, the atmosphere is a dome, but you're not, when you see all the stars, you're seeing things that are, you know, some of which are hundreds of light years away. Are you, and a are you few explaining are to domes. me that
3: stars are not in the, in the actual... Stars
2: are not drawn on the ceiling of the earth like okay. the Truman Show, although it seems like you were not previously aware of this. I do
3: understand, at least this in concept.
2: <laughs> but there is an effect whereby the dome is flattened. It's not, it's not perfectly round like the, uh, you know, the Tacoma Dome. <laughs> it's actually lowered in the middle. Uh, the stuff at the horizon appears to be further away than the stuff overhead. That's an illusion called the flattened dome. And some people have thought in some roundabout way that it might explain the moon illusion.
3: Yeah, well, this is the flat dome is like basically the shape of my eyeball. I have a, I have an astigmatism, and that means that the curvature of my eye is not entirely round. It's kind of like flattens out.
2: Do you think that means you could see the moon illusion with anything? Like you could be in a room and like, uh, like sofas would appear bigger uh, on the horizon than if you... Well, had one on the ceiling. In those times when I'm withdrawing from drugs and you're walking on
3: the ceiling, you do seem a lot smaller <laughs> than when you're sitting across the table from me. But no, I, 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 is so is this, uh, is this perception of the flattening of the dome of the sky called the astigmatic effect? Because it
2: should be. We could, we could make it called that in the future. Let's we have coin a, it. We have a lot of power here. Yeah. It's a little counterintuitive. I think you would have to say that uh, the flattened dome makes me assume that the horizon is further away than the yes. sky overhead. Right. Which means when I see objects of the same size at both, I think the stuff on the horizon is further away and therefore oh. larger.
3: Oh oh oh! So That's... you have
2: you, you have to go an extra level. Sure. That that makes sense to me. Uh, and I don't know if there's actually any evidence for the flattened dome theory, even though it's still used today do i yes
3: i would absolutely say that the sky was closer than the horizon if i were standing
2: out on a salt pan. if you ask people if you see it it works with clouds like people will look at a cloud overhead and say it looks about the same distance as a cloud on the horizon even though the one on the horizon is you know 100 miles away right um and so but you know it seems like this effect could explain things the other way Uh as well uh you know, if this, if stuff looked smaller at the horizon, you could say, oh yes, that's because of the flattened dome, you know? So I don't know if I believe it as an explanation for this illusion.
3: I mean, I make, no, it makes sense to me. Like you look at it overhead and you think it's closer and then you look at it at a distance and you're like, wow, that thing's got to be humongous. No, that, I could see that happening in my brain. From, from growing up in Alaska, we would watch the Aurora Borealis. Ah. uh, And when it was directly above you, it seemed to be one sort of, it seemed more compact than it, when it was happening at a, at a distance. I mean, when it was happening lower in the sky, it seemed like it was, yeah, larger. Smaller
2: thing. No, a larger thing. Oh, a larger thing lower. It was, I see what you It you're was saying.
3: bigger, further away. Right.
2: Smaller overhead, larger at the horizon. Yeah. Right. But could that have to do with visual terrain cues as well? Maybe not because you are in Alaska and there are no viewable trains. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I
3: mean, but you're still looking at it up in the sky. You know, it's, it's rare that the aurora is happening down on the horizon.
2: That's true. Yeah. Um, luminance actually, it turns out, works against the moon illusion. The moon right. is often dimmer when it's lower because you're seeing it through aerial perspective or the effects of atmosphere. That is a real thing. And the moon, the moon illusion would actually be 7% more obvious if not for the luminance oh so that actually works against it uh-huh. um, it turns out that of the say fifty to sixty percent that the moon looks bigger at the horizon, you can get about you can isolate between thirty five and forty percent of it just on the basis of visible terrain cues. the tube gets rid of almost all of it um, effects of angle and posture have been tested extensively you know the angle your head is tilted and just the sense that you're not as good at judging the size of things when they're not in front of you. That's another 10%. Uh-huh.
1: Um,
2: and a, there's not a lot of good tests on things like color of the moon, but it seems like that might be another 10% right there.
3: So charitably, though, we're talking about 50 to 60% of the illusion is explained.
2: Uh, I'm saying of the 50 to 60% that have to be explained between... 35 and 40% of that, well over half of that is visible terrain. I see. And the remaining effect is split between angle and posture, either tilting your head upward or perceiving things above you, and color of the moon, color and blur caused by haze of the moon.
3: But this starts to sound a little bit like Project Blue Book, where you take 5,000 UFO sightings and you're like, well, that was a weather balloon, and these 15 were just reflections off of ponds. And These were
2: Venus, which is weirdly big. Oh yeah. You know, the moon, the celestial illusion was used to, to talk down UFO people. Cause you know, Venus is often near the horizon and it looks super big when it's at the horizon guys. So that's what your UFO was.
3: Yeah. Although I'm an air force pilot and it was flying at 400 miles an hour and then shot straight up into the sky, but I guess it was Venus. So are you saying. I'm that not a
2: UFO truther either. I'm just, you know. It sounds like you're saying there is some conspiracy to keep down the actual true fact that the moon is bigger at the horizon and maybe it's because of aliens.
3: It's very, very hard to accept that this thing that you perceive is not, uh, that has no, uh, well, it's it, it's not just that it has no basis. In fact, it's just not happening. Um, that you It doesn't are,
2: even exist. Like a photograph would be smarter than me at this. It's yeah. very hard to understand.
3: Yeah. But I mean, uh, obviously I'm. And I don't mean to quote Aristotle, but obviously I'm uh, pr- I'm prepared to accept it. it. It it's just uh you know it's a struggle.
2: I think there's implications for pretty much all of our knowledge, you know, like empiricism has long held that the way we find out about our universe is through making careful observations. And, and, it, and, and here is a fact where centuries of what seemed to us very intuitive observations were wrong and we had to make super careful, super Artificial ones like building a tube like yeah yeah or, or an elaborate machine with a series of projected fake moons. <laughs> um, I want to buy one of these moon machines because I bet it can do other things <laughs> what, what other what other uses do you project well, for this that. thing I've very sketchily uh, uh, <laughs> described <laughs> That's the thing you give you give a moon machine
3: to 15 kids and turn them loose and who knows what they're going to come up with but I but this does speak to for instance, the conversation I have all the time, which is... You talk to a group of people that all believe in science, but they also all simultaneously get spooked by ghosts. And you go, well, how can you be spooked by ghosts in your empty house when you don't believe in any of the, just, any of the rationale for what a ghost might be? And there's this kind of perpetuation of a moon illusion, which is like, look, I just know. You can tell me all day that a moon machine detects no No difference, but I know there are ghosts in my house.
2: It really is a lesson that, you know, you can't rely on much of the direct input from your senses, or at least you're going to have to work very hard at overcoming them. Some little part of your advanced cerebrum is going to have to shout down the cerebellum and say, you know, that noise is not a ghost in the attic. The bigger moon is tricking you. And, and all those posts on Facebook that show Miley Cyrus engaged in a in a
3: deep tongue kiss with Justin Trudeau have been manufactured in the basement of a St. Petersburg apartment building. And my charisma is actually overwhelming, and my Axl Rose impression is impeccable. Your Axl Rose impression is bad, but my charisma is overwhelming. And that concludes The Moon Illusion. Entry 806.JB3126. Certificate number 18042 in the Omnibus. Listeners... We know that you often skip this portion of the show because you think it's
2: the same every time. Well, why are you even talking? You're talking to the people who are still listening. You're yeah, punishing true. the wrong people. Well,
3: you know, what I'm talking to are the people that are at this moment scrambling for the off button. They've, you know, they've stopped jogging. They've pulled the little device out of their
2: crepuscular orifice. You're imagining a future jogger with a crepuscular orifice. Yes. That they attach their Fitbit to. Yeah. And they're pulling it out to turn
3: off this part. And I'm like, "Haha, don't turn off this part. It's really great. I mean, I don't even know if it's great. If they're
2: Koosh how are they jogging?
3: <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're bouncing along on their multiple noses. There you go.
2: Uh,
3: we're called the Omnibus Project, I guess. We're called variously Omnibus Project, Omnibus. But also, we may have undergone some kind of uh, social media pivot, and we're now called the Ken Jennings Happy Pride Podcast. Outrageous Trivia Hour. <laughs> Outrageous Trivia uh, with Ken Jennings with
2: Ken Jennings and new co-host TBA. Yeah,
3: right. Ken Jennings and friends. No, 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 no. no. I, I don't believe that will be the case. But uh, at this moment, you can find us across all social media at Omnibus Project. Uh, You can also tweet at Ken at Ken Jennings and me at John Roderick. Uh, You can go to my Instagram account and watch me take pictures, not of my food or pets. Or the moon. Mostly of myself. No, I take pictures of interesting things. It's a glimpse inside my brain. Your feet in the bath. My feet in the bath.
2: Do your feet in the bath look larger to you than they do when you're standing up? Yes. See, it is a lot of angle and posture.
3: But I encourage you to email us at uh, omnibus project at howstuffworks.com because we have taken to replying to emails. It's really fun. Uh, it's a lot of smart people over there.
2: And we like interacting with the futurelings as well on Facebook. Yep. There's a Facebook group you can easily find by looking for omnibus futurelings. Yep. Listeners, we speak to you from the distant past when the moon was still the same size as the sun and not very slightly smaller as it is sure to look in your future. It's almost June in our timeline. That's true. It's about to rhyme with moon, the most romantic month. Croon? I don't really think any of these are very romantic words anymore.
3: Uh, You don't croon at anybody.
2: Well, uh, the other day, what happened? Oh, oh,
3: a a college professor wrote me and said that he had been using some of my lyrics to illustrate metaphor in his college class. La-dee-da. And uh, the lyric was, uh, every eyelash, a picket or a wire. And he'd given this line to his students and said, you know, try and dissect this, figure out what, what this means. Every eyelash, a picket or a wire. And he said that his students first had to figure out what a picket was because it it was a word, I guess, that's fallen out of fashion. None of them, not a, not a kid in the class could. Not even
2: in the phrase picket fence or picket line?
3: I guess it didn't. It was a
2: word that they had to look up and establish like, oh, a picket. I see. Have you ever rhymed the words moon and June in a song? No. Have you ever written a song about the unseen power of a picket fence? Like the pavement song about R.E.M.? No. I don't know what any of this has to do with uh, us getting out of the show. Oh, right. Sure. Keep going. (laughs) About the futurelings. (laughs) We uh, hope and pray that even if you don't understand our pavement references, uh, you are alive and well and have survived whatever cataclysm is sure to engulf us very soon. A word which also rhymes with moon and June. If the worst comes very soon, slash moon, slash June, uh, this recording, like all the entries you hear from us, may be our final word to you. But we hope that providence or, or science uh, will allow us to be back with you soon. For, for another scene. hand. Of oh, the picket fence. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus.